Open your Bibles this morning to the 11th chapter of Romans. In a couple of minutes, I'll be reading verses 28 through 32. And just a quick reminder of where we are in the midst of of this part of the study. Uh, Paul is making clear here in chapter 11 of Romans that that there is a mystery to be understood. Uh, he He says that in verse 25, and And in the process of looking at all of this, he's also expressed extreme concern that in the midst of of all of in the midst of all of this that he's talking about, a concern for the Gentiles that they not become uh, wise in their own sight, that they not become ones who are boasting in themselves and not instead of boasting in Christ. In other words, that they not follow the patterns that Israel has already set up. You realize that, that this is uh, this whole chapters 9, 10, and 11 is, is a result of the reality that it would appear that Israel's been cast out of the picture because they're not receiving Christ as a nation. And yet Paul says, no, that's not the way it is. There's even now a remnant, referring to not only himself as a Jew becoming a Christian, but also the reality that that that, that that there is a remnant that God has appointed during this time of the Gentiles, if you will, that will come to Christ. But even at that, Paul wants to make sure that we understand that God is not done with the nation of Israel. And so he says it's, it's, it's all part of a mystery. He even uses this term mystery. And the mystery is something that has been unclear, but now becomes clear. And, and that's the way Paul looks at a mystery. So this isn't something that is kind of like a mystery, like we're going to have to try to, try to get in between the lines or something and, and figure it out on our own. He says, I want you to understand this. I want to make it clear to you. And one of the, you know, the key things that he's emphasized is that you know, God's plan of salvation is unfolding in such a way that you can look at it and see the things that he's doing. And in so doing, you'll understand that even though the Hebrew people, the nation of Israel, has an appearance of being out of the picture, God still has promises that he made to Abraham that have yet to be completed with the nation of Israel. And that he's going to keep those promises. Now, the problem is, is that the nation of Israel actually has rejected, as a whole, has rejected Christ. And so the simple question that Paul is really addressing in all of this is, Israel done for? And the answer is, by using his own words, <laughs> by no means. We'll pick up here in verses 28 through 32. Uh, this section is, becomes like a summary for chapter 11, and really for all three chapters, uh, 11, 9, uh, 9, 10, and 11 as well. And so uh, Paul says, as regards the gospel, they, referring to the Jews, are enemies of God for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. 
For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience. So what he's saying there, just as you were at one time disobedient, referring to the Gentiles, to God, but now have received mercy because of their, the Jews, disobedience. So they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. Paul starts out this section, with regards to the gospel, and I've stopped there, with regards to the gospel, what is he speaking of? The good news. The... All everything that ties to the gospel in reference to the, the, the Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection, salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Those who confess him uh, from the mouth and believe in their heart that he is the Son of God. Uh, all of this part of the good news and the response to it. Uh, realizing that our salvation does not come by our works, but by God's grace and his grace alone, so that man would never have a reason to boast. Our only purpose to boast would be to boast in Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. Romans makes it clear, if it weren't for the gospel, man would be doomed. Period. All mankind. Jews, Gentiles, makes no difference because there would be no one to intercede on our behalf before the throne of God in reference to our sin. I love that phrase. Once you were enemies, but now you're seated at his table. Enemies, hopeless, helpless, lost, no way to reach, you know, to get in a right position so that we could, we could not invite ourselves to the table. We needed to be invited, and even as we're invited, we couldn't come because we were unclean. And we couldn't get clean because of our sin. And so all we could do would be to, to dream maybe about the table, but, but we'd never be able to get close to it. But Jesus comes and satisfies God completely in the sense of our sins by taking them on himself. And now, when God invites us to the table, he invites us through the blood of Christ. And so once we were in his knees, but now we're seated at his table. It's a powerful picture. All we had to look forward to was death without any hope, separated from God and, 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 and joined, as when we were enemies especially, think about this, separated from God, and we were joined with all who have rejected him. And how are we joined and in what way ultimately do we share our future? In hell, eternally separated from the Father. That's what it means to be an enemy of God.
verse 28 again, he says, with regard to the gospel, they are enemies of God. Again, referring to Israel. They are enemies of God. In chapters 9 through 11, Paul has made it absolutely clear again that Israel as a nation indeed has rejected Christ. Using words like disobedience, unfaithfulness, hardening of their hearts. And the result of this hardening of their hearts and, and, and being rejected by God, they indeed become this, this term, enemies of God. Another term for the uh, word enemies here is adversaries. Not just enemies as a sense of being against, but literally as an adversary, opposed to. The enemies of God are opposed to Jesus Christ as God in the flesh, the Son of God, Savior of our souls. Their enemies, as, as far as the gospel is concerned, when, when, when we take the gospel and hold it before the nation of Israel as a whole, they reject it, as therefore they are enemies. But it says, for your sake, for the sake of you Gentiles. And so again, summing up the things that, that, that Paul has talked about, uh, verse 11, he says, so I asked, did they stumble in order that they might fall, referring to the Jews? By no means. Rather, the, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. <laughs> so he says, their stumbling has opened the door to you coming. Paul later on uses the picture of the, of the roots and the branches of the, of, of the olive uh, tree. And branches were removed and wild olive branches put in their place in, into the into grafted in so as the, the the hebrew people as a nation reject christ the opportunity that is open to the gentiles to receive christ that's what he's trying to say here and so as they stumble and fall god opens the door to you for your sake But still, there's this other side of this coin. As regards election, now election means here to a calling or a choosing to be chosen, in this case, as a nation. So we could read it this way, as regards as to being chosen as God's people, a nation, they're still beloved. Isn't that a crazy picture? They're an enemy of, because of the gospel. We use the gospel and we look at it through Jesus Christ and we realize they've rejected Jesus Christ so they're enemies and yet God turns around but as a chosen nation they are still beloved by him. Because of the promises that have been made to Abraham and then Isaac and then Jacob and ultimately through David. the seed of Abraham, and through the promise that God made him, a nation would be raised up that would be from literally the loins of Abraham himself and from Abraham 
through his seed, singular, Paul points out to ultimately points to Christ, all the nations of the world will be blessed. So we have this, this picture. Enemies, but still beloved by God. The word beloved here, I did a little separate study on it, just uh, curiosity. And I'm not a Greek scholar. I, I have to depend on, on those who, who are and what they write and put together. But the word is agapetos. You're familiar with the word agape. Okay. Agape is not something we generated. That's a love that God generates. It's a God love. It's a love that is uh, beyond something that is merited. And, and so God loves the nation of Israel, this agapetos, beloved, he calls them. Is, it has nothing to do with what they merit. It has to do with who they are and what he has chosen for them. Go back to chapter 9. God's the one that made choices all the way along the line as to how things are going to happen. God's special people, beloved. And in this case, for the sake of the forefathers. In other words, because of the promises he made to the forefathers, the nation of Israel is beloved to him. Agapetos. I, 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 it's a, just, I, I saw that and it just became so helpful for me to see. The promises made to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, the seed, the Christ, the blessings that go with that. Because of that, Israel is beloved to God. And then he makes a really interesting statement. He says, for the gifts and the, and the calling of God are irrevocable. And so he's, he's basically defending what he's just said. There's a, God has reason to, to hold Israel this way because the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. And the gifts that he's talking about here, I believe, is, is, is keeping it in the context of, of the chapters that we've been working with here uh, chapter 9, 10, and 11, I think we can go back to chapter 9, verse 4 and 5 and see a picture of them. Uh, Paul's concern for the Hebrew people uh, because he says they are Israelites and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenant, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises kind of a general picture, and then very specifically, to them belong the patriarchs. And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Those were the promises. And coupled with the calling of God, Going right back to Abraham, calling him out of, out of the, the Mesopotamia and, and into uh, the, the Palestinian area. There, and, and the promises being made. 
They're irrevocable. Now, so, uh, there's another translation. That other translations say, uh, not repented of. God does, you know, the God will not repent of them. But this is not the typical word for repent. It's only used twice in the scripture. And it's used here, and it's used in uh, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, which we'll look at in just a second. In King, uh, so uh, irrevocable here in the King James Version without repentance. Here's a better way to, to literally put it. Not to be repented of. These gifts and promises, if you will, that God has made, the calling that God has put through Abraham on the nation of Israel are not to be repented of. Now, you know, something to be repented of means to, to change, to give it up, or to turn away from it. This word is... God will not turn away from these promises. They're not to be repented of. They're ir so irrevocable is another way of saying that. You know, God's not going to change his mind about these things. This is the way it is. He says in, in uh, the uh, Second uh, Corinthians chapter 10, for uh, godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation. Without regret. And that's without regret is that same word as irrevocable here. When we have a godly grief, it produces a repentance that leads to a, re, uh, to, uh, a salvation that is without regret, without turning away. It, it has a sense of, of it's irrevocable. And what that means is that when we understand or see sin through God's eyes and repent... We come into our relationship with him. It is, leads to a salvation that will not be regretted by his part, without regret. By the way, there's another part to, to uh, 2 Corinthians uh, 7.10. Whereas worldly grief produces death. I thought that was interesting. Godly grief produces a salvation a repentance that's, that leads to salvation without regret. But worldly grief produces death. And I was trying to figure out how to look at these, by the way. And this idea, like I said, the, the godly grief is sorrow for, for, uh, from uh, viewing sin as God does. Uh, Psalm uh, 51, verse uh, uh, 4, where, where, where David says, Against you only, God, have I sinned. In other words, his heart was broken over sin. Had he sinned against some other people? Absolutely. But here at this point, he's recognizing the core of the, of the pain and the sorrow that he had and the grief was, to you only, God, I, I've sinned against you. And, and he had a, a, a sorrow and a grief. He says, break my heart and cleanse it. The only heart that's acceptable to you, Lord, is one that's broken over sin. That's the kind of picture we have here, a godly grief producing a repentance that leads to a salvation without regret. But without that, we can. is it possible in the world to feel sorry about having done something? To regret or remorse and not be saved? 
Judas said, Judas said had remorse. He didn't have salvation, but he had remorse. But it leads to despair and hopelessness. What was Judas' response to his remorse? He hung himself. A world without Christ, when it comes to a realization of, 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 of the, the, the reality of sin in some context, and they see it, but they see it without Christ, and it, then it becomes just a sense of hopelessness. Again, I think of that Peggy Lee song out of the 50s. Is that all there is? This has happened, this has happened, that has happened, that has happened, and all these worldly sorrows. Is that all there is? A sorrow that does not lead to God, but leads to despair and hopelessness. And he says very clearly, produces death. Separation here and permanently from God. So let's look at this again. Even though Israel's rejection and unbelief does grieve God's heart, he does not regret having made the promises to Abraham and to Isaac, and to Jacob. And as a result, he does, he does not regret and will not turn away from keeping those promises to Abraham's seed. In fact, if you look at some of the scriptures, it's obvious that he looks forward with great joy to Israel's restoration. And he calls us to as well, to look forward with joy to Israel's restoration. Even here in chapter 11, he talked about if, if Israel's falling away has brought you this much, when Israel's restored, how much more? Verses 30 and 31, it's like Paul recaps again, speaking to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles' experience with God, he says basically uh, in, in verse 30, the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. Uh, oops, I jumped ahead. That sounds good, but it's, it's the wrong chapter. It's chapter 9. Uh, For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, of the Jewish disobedience, you have received mercy. You were enemies of God once, in other words, too. You were disobedient. Therefore, you were enemies of God. But now you've received mercy. Unmerited favor from God. God has, has, has you know, treated you differently than you deserve. I deserve death. God has hugged me and embraced me through Christ. Invited me to his table and let him receives me through Christ. I, Paul has a real clear picture that he makes of this uh, in Ephesians chapter 2. Paul writes to them, You were dead in the trespasses and sins, 
in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Notice how he said, we all. Once he said that, as a Jewish man, he's being inclusive of the Jews as well, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But... God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. That picture of immeasurable means beyond what is necessary. God's grace is bigger than what is necessary to get to cover us. Immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God. So coming back to this picture that he's saying, you know, you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy and this because of their disobedience the door was opened in other words because their unbelief so verse 31 they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you they also may now receive mercy in other words it's kind of a comparison just as you were disobedient and god poured out his mercy on you because of their unbelief now, God is going to be able to pour mercy out on them in their disobedience because of your belief. <laughs> because all the Jewish, the Gentiles come to know Christ, it says earlier, they will be jealous. And because of jealousy, they will return. I, I guess the thing that amazes me is just this picture of how all entered, <laughs> it just... It is so intricately tied together. It's, it's so woven and, and, and so neatly done. Everything works to bring about God's perfect plan. That, does that give us an excuse to go and just say, well, therefore all our sin makes God look good? No, we've already talked about that here in Romans. He says, heaven forbid. No. It's not an excuse to go and sin. But it's a reality of even if we have sinned and when we realize that sadness and sorrow, the sin we have committed, the reality that God and only God through Christ restores us. And as enemies invites us to his table and receives us through Jesus Christ. It says here, God has turned all men over to sinful, their sinful nature. In verse 32, all have sinned. What are the wages of sin? Death. But he has made available mercy. He has made available the free gift of God, eternal life, through Christ Jesus our Lord. And so if you got nothing else out of all of this, the picture would be everybody needs Jesus Christ whether Jewish or Gentile, 
We all come to the, the, to the, the, the family of God, the kingdom of God, through the blood of Jesus Christ. There is no other avenue. And in that process, as we look around the world and we see various situations, especially in reference to God's special people, the Hebrews, the Jews, the, the nation of Israel, and we see them, uh, I even heard the, the, the term uh, used to describe Israel, the nation of Israel today, secular Israel. And there's a reason for that. It's, it's because it, it's, it's not operated under the laws of the covenant or anything like that as it was at one time ancient. It's, it's not a religious state. It's an ethnic state. Is God's blessing still with them? Absolutely. Why? Because he made promises to Abraham that he's not going to revoke. He, he's going to stay with them. They're irrevocable. And in the process of doing that, it opened the door broadly for us to come in as they rejected. That season of rejection has been called, we called the, the, the time of the, of the Gentiles or the season or, or the, the fulfilling of the Gentiles. And that invited us in. So as we look at this very clearly, We all come through Jesus Christ. The promises that God has made as we enter into our relationship with him. Uh, I also see that in reference to what he says in, in 2 Corinthians there. Uh, and, and the promises that he makes to us as the Gentiles. As we enter in and we confess uh, with our mouth and, and, and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. That that becomes irrevocable as well. And so we come to the table this morning invited through the blood of Christ through his grace and his grace alone and boasting nothing that we have done but only in what he has done. I invite you to share in communion with us this morning. I ask the ushers to pass the emblems out until we've all been served and we'll share together.
I know with all my heart. 